The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here, there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. Sirius XM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Hey, Nicholas, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Where are you right now? I am in New Bern, North Carolina, where I live. I love North Carolina. Hello, Literally listeners. It is your host. It is me. Um, Really, really fun one today, you guys. Nicholas Sparks the legendary author. He's he's so legendary and so specific in his success that you could say the phrase, I feel like I'm living in a Nicholas Sparks book today. That's how you know, right? You know, it's so, like, I'm, I feel like I'm living in a Stephen King book. Like there are just certain people out there that have had so much success. They do what they do so well that it's become a thing. And he's certainly one of them. And it certainly started with, for me, the notebook. Holy moly. But, you know, he's done Dear John, Knights of Redanthe, um, The Choice, A Walk to Remember, Message in a Bottle. Oh, I mean, on and on and on. Pick your, pick your favorite thing. And in an amazing fact, it's come to my attention that this 
is the first time Nicholas Sparks has ever been on a podcast anywhere. So it is a tremendous honor. Let's see how he does. I think you're living the dream. Yeah, I uh, I was a, a young guy living in California. Largely grew up in California, and I was married back then, and I had child. And uh, I remember my my wife at the time. She said, "I don't want to work, you know, uh, yeah. when the babies are little." I said, "Okay, you know, I was in in sync with that." And so we just uh, said, "Well, we got to move someplace cheaper than California because back in even 1992, it was expensive. If you're just a sales rep, a pharmaceutical rep, you know, earning thirty, forty thousand a year, it was." expensive. Uh, interest rates were much higher then than they are now. So anyway, we picked five states based on weather because uh, oh. I hated the snow, didn't want the desert, you know, didn't want to live in Texas, didn't want the endless rain of the Northwest. So we picked South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And my company had an opening in a territory in eastern North Carolina. And so we moved here sight unseen, knowing nobody. And that's oh. And that's how I ended up here. I just fell in love with the town, and here I am, a long time later. And now, now that you're an icon, I'm going to call you a literary icon. Is it what is it like? Are you the master of all you survey? When you walk down the street to the local thing, do they throw rose petals? And are you are you like the guy? <laughs> I, I well, let's be honest. There, I think a lot more people recognize me than I recognize. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a town of about 30,000, and I've been here for 30 years. Right. So it, they don't make a big deal about it, right? I go into the teller, and it's more about, you know, how are your kids doing, right? Because we might have kids. I have five children. So it's just regular small town conversation, right? I mean, I yeah. work with the insurance guy here and the doctor there. So it's pretty... <laughs> I I never feel famous in my town. I never have people camping out in my driveway or anything like that. Are people slipping you manuscripts ever? <laughs> like <laughs> you know, uh, they they do right, but I return them unread. There is a you can run into an issue if you're an author where they say they sent you a book. Someone says, and then. Uh, two years later or three years later, they say, hey, wait, you stole my idea. That's right. And it is very common. So all I, I don't solicit and everything is un is returned unread. And it's been that way for probably 20 plus years now. Yeah, it's it that happens even with just scripts. People say, hey, I have a script. Would you read it? And you never know. Cause, you know I also write in, in doctor scripts uh, and you just it's because you feel bad because you, you want to be helpful and you want to you know it would be I can just see if I were a young writer getting somebody like you or to it would be unbelievably helpful but you just in this day and age can't do it no you can't and now if it comes from a publisher and a, and a request from an editor or um it comes from my agent and she's like, it's getting published and they're looking for a blurb. Sure. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm willing to do that. You know, occasionally I don't overload myself with uh, with 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 that responsibility. I, you know, I'm kind of lazy in the long run. So. <laughs> so you're living the dream. You're you're off the beaten path. What is your day like? What is do you write every day? I'm, I'm I could not be more fascinated with writer's processes because everybody's different and it just is it just is an amazing 
thing to me, whether you're a songwriter or a novelist or whatever. What's yours like? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. So writing, and I didn't come up with this, some smart guy came up with this, but he says basically writing is a concentrated form of thinking. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I don't write every day because some days I'm not sure what I'm going to write. Uh, When you write books that deal with emotion and the genuine, you're trying to genuinely evoke it and not tell it, you know, these are subtle shifts and and just the the challenges in the specific sentences and words, but it's also you got to have the right idea for a subtle shift that feels exactly right. So um, it's probably better to look at it in the course of a year, right? Um, in the course of a year, I'll probably write not every day, four, three, four days a week uh, for six months. The book is done. Then you have probably a two-month editing process, and you have a month on the road, and then you have three months thinking about it, you know, thinking about the next book that you're going to try to write. Uh, so that's kind of how you, it, on a yearly schedule, on a daily basis, it goes like this. If I'm sitting down to write, and today is a writing day, I say, I'm going to write 2,000 words, 2,000 words. And that can take anywhere from three to six hours. You know, it depends. Some some things are tougher, and that includes editing. And it's funny because if you do the math, right, like let's say I, I write, I type 50 words a minute, which is probably accurate, right? I've been typing my whole life. Um, you know, you're like, okay, 2,000 divided by 50, that's 40 minutes, what on earth am I doing the other four hours and 20 minutes or five hours and 20 minutes? I don't know. I'm on the phone. I'm taking a mental break, procrastinating, goofing on the internet, throw the ball for my dog, go to the bathroom, get some water, It edit what I've just written, edit the previous paragraph, edit the previous page, move a little forward. It's like that. So it's a very strange process. So, okay, so you get your 2,000 words and let's say you have to take... 130,000 words to get the 100,000 you need for the novel. All right. So it's basically 65 writing days in a 365-day years. And a lot of the rest of the time is spent thinking, editing, promoting. Uh, And why 2,000 words? I guess that's a number that works for me. It's fast enough. It's enough words that I'm keeping up with the pacing of the novel. Like, am I bogging down, going too slow? I can keep up with the pace of the novel, but slow enough that the quality is just not terrible, right? If I, you know, if I write 4,000 words in a day, the quality is just not there. I mean, you know, your last thousand words, you end up deleting. So it's a number that works for me. When you're thinking of a book, are you taking, are you taking notes? Are you, um, you're just pondering, thinking, mulling, and then is there an outline? Never an outline. You know, uh, some people do, and some people do a very long outline and then work from the outline. The only time I've ever outlined was the last half of Message in a Bottle. I was very clear on where the story was going, and that had to do with Hollywood. I, I was We were going to submit it early, even before the novel was finished. So I sent 
out to Hollywood, half of the novel written, and then a chapter by chapter, here's how it goes the rest of the book. But it was the only time. No, it's funny. Um, how do you get your ideas and what do you, what are you thinking? No notes. It's more, <laughs> you'll love this. Uh, I, I watch a lot of TV and I uh, Good. watch a lot Everybody of movies. Should. Right, exactly. And it then makes I read you smart. A lot. And, and <laughs> it's funny, when I talk to college students, they say, you want to be a good writer? I do. I tell them, look, you got to watch a lot of television and you got to watch a lot of movies and you have to read a lot because a good story is a good story, regardless of the medium. And good writing is good writing, regardless of the medium. And you have to kind of develop like you have over the years. You know, you read a script and you know if it's good or not. How do you know? Well, you just know. And you have to develop that knowledge of just being able to know, hey, this works. And you watch enough TV or watch enough movies, and I read a lot, you know, a couple hundred books a year, you might pick up two ideas from two different books and an idea from an episode on something you saw, and then something, a theme that you might want in the movies, and you come up with a book like, uh, you know, I'd always wanted to do a, a story on adoption, originally inspired by Danielle Steele's novel, The Gift. Couldn't come up with a story that felt original. Years passed, so I wrote other books in between. And then I was, I don't know, it was Christmas, and I'm watching a lot of Christmas movies, and I said, you know, I should write a Christmas book. So I started, sort of combined, well, what happens if you combine Christmas and adoption, and the ideas came together, and That's I came amazing. up with the wish in a very original way. But yeah, that period when I'm thinking, trying to come up with a new book, terrifying for me because I don't know if a new idea will come. I don't know where the old ideas came from. They just came from weird bits and pieces. Well, that's an, that's another part of it. I'm sorry to do such a deep dive on it, but like I said, I'm fascinated. So, but how do you get the sense of, if you're not outlining, then you have, I'm assuming you have a lot of freedom within the chapters to meander, take this fork in the road because, and then see, I'm like, whoa, this led to this. I'm going to have a cliffhanger I never thought I'd have mid-book. So you're free for all of that, right? I am. Now, normally when I start a book, I will know some things about it. You know, sure. I'll know the, the beginning. I'll know how it ends. I'll know the basics about the characters, you know, uh, because I try to vary the eight. My, my readership ranges in age from 12-year-olds to 90-year-olds. And my experience has shown that that people most relate to books with characters around their age going through the dilemmas they're going through. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, women who just recently divorced and it yeah. wasn't a great divorce. He left you for a young... Man, they really loved Knights in Rodanthe, right? <laughs> but how did they like, you know, A Walk to Remember about a teenager? But hey, you talk to teenagers, they, they, they go crazy for A Walk to Remember and The Notebook and The Last Song because the characters were young. So I vary the age. So I'll know the ages of the characters, maybe some of their dilemmas. I know how the book begins and maybe a couple of twists and turns along the way in the context of moving to the end of the book or whatever. And then everything else comes while I'm writing those 2,000 words a day. And the most important thing you have to capture as an author, and certainly you as an actor get this, uh, you have to capture the voice. Right. When you see a character and you see it and you're reading just lines of dialogue and they're not telling you he throws a book before he says this or whatever, right. you're like, I'm getting the sense he's pissed. Right. How am I going to play this that works 
all the way through the movie and makes the character, you know, consistent, right? And that's what, that's, it's the same thing as a writer, chasing that voice. Well, what do you do when you, you come up against the old saw, write what you know, and you're a 58-year-old white dude living in North Carolina, but your book is about a 17-year-old girl living in Beverly Hills. Like, how do you solve that? <laughs> well, uh, A, for the most part, I ignore it. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, uh, um, you know, I just don't buy into it. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, the goal should be to create that character with honesty. Right. And and with the honesty of that character, whether they're a good character or a bad character or they're snarky or naive or, or sugar sweet, whatever it is, that's the character. You, you do that honestly. And I follow it with the kind of books that I write, because remember, emotion plays a big part in these novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care whether you're a 17-year-old girl or you're a 60-year-old Native American. When you're falling in love with someone, it feels the same. You know, you get a little nervous right before you kiss them because what if they don't like you as much as you like them? And that doesn't matter whether you're you and relatively famous or, you know, or someone on the street. It's still the emotions the same, right? When you get angry, it's the same as when your mom gets angry, you know, or when you get frustrated, it's kind of the same feeling. So I just don't buy into it and I write and if, and people are welcome not to read it. So in your, is it, is it fair to say genre? Can we say genre about your work? Kind of, you know, it's, it's a very strange, it's not a romance novel. It's, I call them love stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're more in the line with like a Romeo and Juliet, because there's often an element of tragedy or sadness or uh, from Farewell to Arms by Hemingway or Love Story by Eric Siegel or The Bridges of Madison County or The Horse Whisper, whatever genre that is. That's what I work in. Yes. Because what I was saying is the two books for me that would be in your canon that are some of my favorites, um, one would be Ordinary People. Sure. And Brian's Song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it was funny when I was in the film business or I had a, you know, had a development deal with uh, uh, Warner Brothers, whatever. Yeah. That's in my past. (laughs) Brian Song was the one we wanted to do. That's very interesting. We worked with Gail Sayers. We got the rights again. You know, we we, we moved forward on it. You know, things don't always work out. There was a minute where I was in one of those career moments where you're kind of going, hey, what's next? And I had written and directed a short film that people liked a lot. And so, and I loved writing and directing. So it's still my favorite thing ever that I ever get to do. I don't get to do it much. Um, it's the most fulfilling thing in show business, in entertainment, in my opinion. So I was it's thinking, hard. okay, it's really hard, <laughs> but it's the, it's the best. And so I was meeting with development people and studios wanted to hire me and give me a deal and whatever. And the one, what I wanted to do was Brian's song. Wow, I, we could have worked together. Where were you when I needed you? I don't know. I think this was somewhere around, I don't know, 2014, 2015. Yeah, I was, I was, this was, this was right before I did, I did a a little show called The West Wing and the rest, I haven't been off of television since, luckily, but I loved that movie. I was trying to figure out how to not literally redo Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo, but to do 
a sports themed movie with that kind of heart and tragedy and friendship and love. And, and it's just an amazing, amazing movie. Oh, it's one of the greats. It's 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 one of the greats. I mean, there's no question about it. It's a great book. It's a great movie. I think it was James Caan, right? I yeah, mean, oh, God, James Caan. I'm always curious, and I, I guess I get IMDb it, but like where, because that's him at his height. Like he's the man. So right. did he do it after Sonny Corleone and The Godfather or before? Like, And also you have to remember in those days, TV was considered so down market. Sure, sure. And sure, it's great. For I mean, it's a great script. It's still doing TV in a time when you did not do that, particularly if you wanted to be a movie star. Right, and here's right. a movie star. I mean, James Caan coming off The Godfather goes and does a weepy TV movie of the week. I don't, how did it happen? You know, it had to have been the script. I think it holds up very well. It oh. holds up incredibly well after 40 years. You know, it is as timeless as a story. It's a story of friendship and overcoming obstacles and both of them. And then um, tragedy. a relationship just defined, tra- tragedy just defined by deep love and respect. And that stuff works. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Hey, listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. 
Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. Just because it's a good book doesn't does not mean it's going to be a good movie. In fact, it usually doesn't. Sure. Uh, um, but your books are just I don't it's your writing. It's it's your you, you just know how to do it. You're, it's like you're like my boy Stephen King in that way. Uh, Love Stephen King. I was I was lucky enough to do two Stephen King projects. And, you know, a lot of people have tried Stephen King and, and like there's and I tell them this, too. It's like there's. In, in the canon of movies and TV, there's good Stephen King and there's bad Stephen King. And, right. um, but in his writing, there's only good Stephen King. I would agree. I mean, I've, I, I've, I've said that for, for years. You know, I got a funny story. People have asked me whether I've met Stephen King, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I haven't. But it, here's the closest I got, right? Uh, I had written the notebook and they're sending me on this massive book tour. So I go up to Bangor, Maine, right? Oh, boy. You're right there. Yeah, I'm right there in his hometown. And so... Um, I I asked some lady at the airport, where does he live? And she just gave me, oh, drive here, there. It's the house with the, you know, the black <laughs> with the gates with, with, with the gargoyles on, yes, the, uh, exactly. on the wrought iron fan. And so I, I go to his house and there it is. It's just a, you know, 30, it's just a house. And then there's this little step over chain on the driveway, just a little hanging chain. And I said, well, that obviously means they don't want anyone just walking up to their door. But I get my courage. I say, but I'm not just anybody. I just hit the bestseller list. He was my inspiration. So I step over that, go up to the door, and I'm about ready to knock. And there's a sign right by the door that says, Mr. and Mrs. King do not receive unannounced visitors. And again, I just stand there kind of, what do I do now? I have a signed copy of the notebook, right? And, uh, so then I'm standing there trying to debate whether or not to knock. And I look up in the corner and there's this camera zeroed in on me. And I say, okay, that's it. I leave a signed copy of the notebook, don't knock, head back to my car and go back to the hotel. That's the closest I ever got. So he, so he, somebody opens the door and there's a signed copy of the notebook and there it is. And he's like, where did this come from? Right? That's the closest I ever got. I think you, I was so with you. See, that's why you're a great storyteller. I was right with you on that story. And I was like, I hope he walked away. I hope he left the signed copy. I hope he just put the book down and walked away. I was like, yes. That is it, right? So, um, right. And uh, years later, he wrote a uh, 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 a wonderful book called Lisey's Story. And, and to me, he paid me just, I don't know what he thought about it. But to me, it was a great honor because he, uh, he they don't do advance reader copies for his books because people just sell them, basically. And there's no reason. Everyone knows who he is. So uh, when he wrote this book, it was a very meaningful book to him because he kind of modeled it 
from what I know, his sister and her, or I'm sorry, his wife, Tabitha, and her relationships with her sisters. So it was a very personal book to him. But when he was getting ready for the, to launch this book, he came out, they decided to come out with an advanced reader copy, first one in years and years and years. And he asked two people to do a blurb for the book, to read it in advance, have it on the, the hardcover, but also the, the advanced reader copy. And one of those was Michael Chabin, the Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, yeah. And, and then one of them's me. <laughs> and I read this and I remember getting the advanced copy and the hardcover copy. And I'm like thinking, man, one of these things just doesn't belong. And, and obviously I knew it was me, but you know, I felt very flattered. How hard do you, do you sweat your, okay, it's Stephen King. He's my hero. And you're, you're wildly successful. You got nothing to prove to anybody. But still, you're like, all right. And I got Michael Chabon. His blurb is going to be here. I got to throw the fuck down for Stephen right. King, right? Oh, man. I will tell you, I worked long and hard <laughs> on that blurb. I mean, of course, it, it was full of praise. And true, the book was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, and then I knew that he was asking me to do it to uh, kind of reach into my readership, people who like personal stories and, and and stories about relationships and and a little and a love story so I, I also tried to do look I worked really hard on it I was really proud on it I have a library downstairs I have like a a little pub down in my basement area basically and I put cool stuff down there yeah let me tell you I got that book there he actually sent me a signed copy and it's here's my blurb on it yeah. so sick it's one of the cool things in my pub room so I, you'll appreciate this then. I, here's, I have many Stephen King stories because I did the stand mm -hmm. for him and he wrote the script. He adapted his own book. So he, he wrote the script and was on set the entire time. It was wow. amazing. Um, so I spent a lot of time with him. Went to bat, his, Tabitha, his wife, is a, an aficionado of basketball history. Interesting. Yeah, super interesting. Um, two quick Stephen Kings. One is we're, we're shooting in Utah. We're going to see a jazz game. We park in a parking structure. We're walking for a long time. And he just says, parking garages are scary. I need to write a book about a parking garage. And it just made me laugh. <laughs> I was like, it's a uh, great story. Yeah, parking garages are scary. Uh, and he's right. Um, and then the other was um, just what kind of a guy he is. You know the, the the publicity tours they send you on, right? You do them for books. We do them for movies and TV. And you you go in the old days. You went city to city to city to city. Now right. you don't do it as much. But in the old, this was the mid to late nineties. I still um, so, do this, by the way. Yeah, city to city. So I I was in New York, February, freezing. Right. You do the morning shows, which means you're up at you know five a.m. I roll up. It's 5 a.m., it's snow, it's gray. There's a man standing on the sidewalk. I get out of the car to be ushered into ABC Studios. It's Steven. And he, he's just like, I just wanted to come by and say thanks. Oh, that's great. It, and the, it just, it, he's just the, the most wonderful man. He's incredibly talented. I've said, you know, he, he, he can do things in writing that no other author that I know of has ever done. This goes back to Shakespeare. I mean, he's, he's written short stories, 
award-winning. He's written some of the best novellas ever written. He's written epic novels. He's written serial novels. He's written serialized novels like With the Green Mile. He's written teleplays, mm-hmm. screenplays, books of poetry. He wrote the whole Gunslinger series. Yeah, you know, look, <laughs> you, you compare that to what I've done. I'm like, yeah, I've done all that except for all of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, I've just written my little novels, right? Or Grisham, Grisham too, right? We write the one thing. He's got, he's just got talent, and I know he works at it, and and uh, and he certainly honed his skill and works very hard. Uh, but there's nobody that that's been able to do what he's he's done, in my opinion. Tell me, tell me about Dreamland. Dreamland, my new novel came out, uh, I think in October, hit number one. It's still uh, still on the bestseller is list. That still, is that still a, a thrill for you? Or like when you're like, when, they, when you get the call to go, it's number one, New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it's exciting. You got a lot of them. You got a lot, you, you got a yeah, good streak. I think I've had 18 or 19 of them I mean, or yeah, something like it's, that. It's so great it is you can't ex- remember. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it is exciting. And, and then I'll, and then I'll tell like my house manager, "Hey, the book hit number one, and that'll be it." Right? Yeah. It's very, <laughs> it's very, but it is very exciting. You know, it comes down. Um, I'm, so, I'm so very grateful to the readers, uh, fans who buy the book. You know, and I never forget that they're, you know, they're, they're paying their hard earned money to buy a story. So. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful. It's still one of the reasons why I tour because I actually get to go out, sign books, and say thank you mm-hmm. to people, and that and that does mean a lot to me. Uh, yeah, I I think I'm at the phase though that if I didn't hit number one, I'd be more disappointed than I am excited if I do hit number one. I think totally. you know, first time super super exciting, um, but you know, right now. I, I think I would be dis- well, I know I'd be disappointed. I'd be I'd be heartbroken if I didn't, right? What so. is that? It's that kind of there are a couple things in our business. Uh, Oscar winning actor, mm-hmm. um, New York Times bestselling author. Like once you get it, it's it's permanently, permanently in your mm-hmm. description. And it's super cool. I mean, and and I, I say it as my my meager two books that I wrote when the New York Times bestselling author Rob Lowe to me sounds way better than, you know, um, Joan Rivers e-channel golden hanger winner, which I also, <laughs> am, uh, by the way, that's for best dressed on the red carpet, just so you know. Oh, I love that. Hey, I yeah, love that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I you know, pretty I, stylish today, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I run the gamut, you know, I've got a lot of awards and, uh, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's New York Times bestselling. It's, it's super, super cool. It, it, is is there a movie in it, do we think? Yeah, I have um, three movies in various um, stages. We're in the process of uh, doing the film for The Return, and so the script is done, pretty much looking for the director kind of thing. Um, the Wish, I think we're getting close to finalizing on a writer, and so it's a three-film deal with Universal. So they have The Wish, Dreamland, and the novel that I'm working on right now. So those are the three. So uh, there are various stages. I think Dreamland will be a film. I, and I think it'll be a very good film. Um, it'll be something that people will want to watch. It's a story, and since you asked me about it, yeah. why why it will also be a good film. It's got a very strong uh, music element. So it's a story about Morgan and Colby. He's a farmer, small family farmer from North Carolina who 
had dreams of making it in music. So he's down playing a couple of local beach bars, you know, for two or three weeks. It's really his first vacation from the farm in years. So he's using it as a vacation. Well, he happens to meet a young lady named Morgan who just graduated from college, majored in music at Indiana University, specialized in opera, just to increase the range of her voice. Uh, But she has dreams, of course, being the next young female pop star, Taylor Swift or Olivia Rodrigo, whoever it is, right? Right. Well, these two meet down in Florida and, uh, well, it's a Nicholas Sparks book, right? Yeah, Nicholas Sparks. No, and, <laughs> and so they fall in love as they learn to, as they realize they share this passion and they have so much in common and they work together writing music and this and that. So that's part of the story. And of course, I think that would work really well in film, right? You get Sean Mendez or you get Harry Styles or you get Olivia Rodrigo and they're playing the roles. Well, you're looking at bringing a number of fans in who just want to hear them sing, right? Maybe some original songs. That's part of the story. In another part of the story, we'll call it the B story. And you don't know how it's related to this story. It's a woman. Uh, she's on the run from an abusive situation with her small, t- with her young son, six years old, trying to establish a new life. And it's all her fears. And uh oh, it feels as though the bad guys are beginning to close in the evil ex or the evil husband that she's on the run from. So the stories go back and forth until you finally realize how they come together. Really? So I think it's so I think it's got a lot of elements well, those are, that people Those are, are so disparate those stories until how, the how, end. But here's my question. So the the okay, well, listen, obviously you're you're who you are so it probably doesn't even occur to you, but just for me, I go that's such a big gamble. Like you've you've committed. That's a lot of literary real estate. Sure. Before before they marry up. And it mm-hmm. it's that's it's it's kind of a hail mary. Did did you always know it was going to work? I did, I yeah. did, because I knew I knew the relationship and I knew the ending. Right, went early on t- in our conversations. I always know the ending. I always know how it's going to come. It was a it was it's a very tough book. Can't re- I don't really talk about it too much because to to kind of understand how they come together in this or that. Sure, it's a legitimate spoiler, mm-hmm. but they do yes. come together, and I was aware of it all along. And, um, you know, it, it works really well. So it feels like one part of it is a Nicholas Sparks love story. There's the beach, you know, <laughs> they're, they're great. They're singing to each other. It's just, right. you know, yeah. wonderful. Then the other part is a little feels like sleeping with the enemy, right? Yes. Like, how are they going to, and I will tell you, they sync up um, in a way that's very moving and meaningful. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment? There's only one answer, California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um, And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. 
You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats, keep my dogs healthy, and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360-day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. Now, let me ask you another thing. Um, your... We, we, we didn't call it genre. We never did figure out uh, a euphemism, but we know what we're talking about. In mm-hmm. your area, I find it's very hard to find directors who can handle that material, in my opinion. It is. It is. One tick to the right or left, it is a bad Hallmark movie. There is no question about that. A lot of that, uh, and we work hard on finding the right directors, and we've done a good job, right? Uh yes. I think you know, Adam Shankman did a great job with A Walk to Remember, Nick Cassavetti's with The Notebook. And yep. and there is a lot of um there is a lot of work that that's put into the script. Um and then more importantly, when we often I'm a producer. I'm not always a producer, sometimes I'm a producer, so I you know, we're interviewing the directors. Mm-hmm. Always I have input, whether or not I'm credited with it. Right. Um and yeah, you 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 run. You have to be really clear on the um, the director's vision because a lot of these films are in some ways made, believe it or not, 
in the editing room. So if I was so, hey, you're in one of my films and I'm like, okay, you're playing one of the characters. You say, you wrote the book. What do I do with this character? I'll say, okay, for this scene, give it a small range within the character that you've created in your mind. I a little undersell and maybe a little oversell because when we start putting the movie together, we may realize, boy, the, the pacing of this, we need a little undersell here. Or no, 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 we need to do a little oversell. However, and you know what I'm talking I about. I absolutely know what you mean. And so, and so that's, and that's exactly, that's the only note I ever give to an actor who asks me. Here's what's, okay, that is a terrifying note. By the way, as a filmmaker, it's absolutely the right note. It's not even a question. As an actor, it's a terrifying note because what you must have then is absolute trust in the people making the movie because you have, you're the guy playing it. So at the mm -hmm. end of the day, you're the ultimate authority of what you're feeling making that scene. And if you're not feeling the undersell that you just asked for, maybe you're feeling the oversell. You're being asked to deliver something that's your job to do, that you should do, that meanwhile, on that given day, you're not feeling. And it is a really, really gnarly thing to do as an actor because in the wrong hands, you go and see it and you're like, I knew it. I fucking knew it. It's like that moment doesn't work. And do you know what I'm saying? So that is. Yeah, I do. But it's super, it's, it's super smart. You need to have your options in the editing room. You've got to have the one where he's like, yippee, when he sees her. And the other one where he's like, oh, I'm not sure he even likes her. you right. got to have it. You have to. Uh, and uh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. I was like, you know, I, I, I'll keep that in mind. The no, next you time I know. give that note, I, I thank you for letting me know. But it's 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 very true. The other thing that um, uh, we've been real blessed on, and 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 I think this would make that particular thing easier, is that our sets have been very collegial. They, these are the kind of films that just kind of build toward, you know, I don't have, yes, I've had some bad guys, but most they're, you know, mostly they're, they're not necessarily bad. They're just flawed. Yeah. And so, so everyone's, you know, you're, you're not, it, it leads to a good vibe on set, right? For Even sure. on late days or an early morning, you're like, okay, this is it. And, and when we're working with directors, you know, we think about that too. Um, and certainly more the 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 more films I did, you know, early on I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know anything. Yeah, now I know. Back then I didn't. What are your favorite? Well, we we kind of did ordinary people, and we did um, Brian's song. But outside of that, what do you think? Your what's what's the booked into a movie you wish you had done? Is there one? Sure, Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay. How about Harry Potter, right? Then, then, then you'd be talking to me, and I'd be having a a mai tai at, at you know noon or or one o'clock in the afternoon, kicking back, right? Sure. I I love music as much as I love uh, books, and I had on the show, um, I had Jan Winner, okay. of the Rolling Stone, and I said, Jan, if there was a song you could have written, same same song you could have written, what would it be? And he's the only person ever that answered what my only song would be. And it was for the same reason, Margaritaville. Sure. Right. It's like, 
oh, Margaritaville housing developments, Margaritaville margarita <laughs> mix, Margaritaville <laughs> books, Margaritaville <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> sure. Um, a, a really good one, let's say Jaws. Right. If you read uh, Jaws, uh, yeah, it ended up being a phenomenal film and it was a phenomenal book. But if you read the book, it's a lot about the shark's point of view. And you're like, I remember the opening paragraph of Jaws. Sure. Because it's so intense. It's it's like he turned slightly to the left off of and it, it's literally it's the shark swimming in the current. Exactly. It's amazing. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I thought, of course, we're talking Steven Spielberg here, true mm, genius, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the Stephen King of the film world or, you know, or right. whatever. Right. OK. And, and of course, he pulled it off. And, you know, but, you know, you, you think of some of those iconic films, you know, hey, look, The Notebook, right? I mean, come on, you know, that... I mean, it's parodied, you know, it's, it's, ends up a, a quotes in television shows, movies, you know, iconic, it's just there. And of course, I'm also the first to say, you know, thank goodness for, uh, the director, uh, Nick Cassavetes and the cast and, uh, you know, Lynn Harrison, Mark Johnson, the producers, right, yeah. man, you know, they didn't, they did a fabulous, fabulous job. And Will it you- is different than the novel, of course, but it's its its own thing. When, when you get the chemistry, chemistry is, is so hard, as you know, but when you get the right couple chemistry, it literally is explosive. It, it literally is. is. And and that was one of them. It, those two, at that moment, and they've, they've gone on to have great careers, obviously, but there's just something, you just sit back and let it it's like fusion. You just sit back and let it happen and and count your lucky stars because it does not <laughs> That happen. is what I do, right? You know, people ask, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, when you hear, if you're an author, right? You hear, hey, what's your favorite? They, I say, what's your favorite book? Oh, I love The Notebook. What's your favorite movie? Uh, the Notebook. And really what that means is, I guess for the last 25 years, I've been going downhill. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, been there. This, but at the same time, um, golly, you know, I'm proud of it, right? I did it, right? Not everybody gets an iconic film out of their, you know, Mario Puzo, right? He wins the Pulitzer and, you know, the the Academy Award Best Actor, uh, you know, Silence of the Lambs, right? You want to talk about a phenomenal book uh, by, by Thomas Harris and then you have this Academy Award winning film. I mean, you know, there have been some amazing uh, novel to film adaptations. And, you know, uh, I think the, th- the, the the single thread that has it in common is that the the team behind the film is a really good team for that particular, particular project, right? Good director, good yes. cast, good chemistry, everything just kind of, you know, for whatever it worked. No, it's funny when you look at the, those and the uh, in any other um, example you could come up, come up with, you're right. It's insane. Every box is double, triple checked. Director, sure. check, check, check. Actress, check, check, check. Pro- smart producer, check, check. And Mark Johnson, I've known, I mean, I, I know reputationally for years and years, he's, I mean, he's Barry Levinson's producer forever. Right. I mean, he's, he's brilliant. Brilliant man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, and I've had the good fortune to work with uh, wonderful producers, Denise Novi, uh, Marty Not- Bowen. Marty Bowen, right? He's over there at Temple Hill and all they do is toss out great stuff. I think Marty Bowen might have been my 
agent at one point in my life. Uh, he was, he, he was, he was an agent at UTA, right? <laughs> yeah, he um, was, then he was. And uh, brilliant. I wish you more and more and more success. It, it, it would be hard to be more successful. But I, I've had such a great talk talking to you because I, again, I'm so envious of, first of all, I'm envious you're sitting in North Carolina. I'm envious that your job is to sit and ponder and you're highly compensated for it. And um, I'm envious that you provide good scripts for actors who want to go work on good scripts like me. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you. And thank you. Wow, so fun. I'm so inspired. I'm going to go um, write 2,000 words today. Here's the thing, though. I forgot to ask. God darn it. He write, he I never learned how to type. I can't type. Well, I can't type, but it's so slow that then the idea has gone out of my head. So I, I write longhand. Maybe he can give me the latest version of Mavis Beacon Teaches Typing. I had taping class in the seventh grade, and all I remember from it is J.K.L. Sem. That's all I remember. I was not a good student. Anyway, you know what time it is. It's time to check the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob, this is Christy from Alaska. I noticed on your Instagram that you have a really cute little Jack Russell Terrier, and we have two Jack Russell Terriers who keep life very interesting. You may have just heard one bark. I was just curious, knowing that you're a dog person, if you have done any acting with dogs or any other type of animal, and if so, do you have any stories to share about that? Love the podcast. Thanks. Well, thank you. And it just so happens that I have a movie on Netflix called Dog Gone. And it's the true story of a family's beloved dog who goes missing on the Appalachian Trail. And in the process of trying to find their dog, the family comes to terms with their own dynamics. And it's super like gives you the feels. I mean, it's if you're a dog person, forget it. You're done. You're done. So. Right. Um, it's everything. It's kind of everything you want. It's super like you're going to be all warm and cuddly. And turns out as we released the movie on Netflix, people were so interested in it, but they were super afraid that the dog was going to die. And I was like, well, that's part of the story. The tension of that, isn't it? And like, no, people are too freaked out that a dog is going to die. So the dog doesn't die. OK, I'd prefer it if you didn't know. But clearly, I know as, as, a, as a woman with two amazing Jack Russells, you don't want to watch a movie when a dog dies. So it doesn't. And we had two dogs trained with different behaviors. They look exactly alike. One was the sort of playful dog who would do the tricks. And the other dog was the dog that you knew was going to sit, stay, lie down, be super calm whenever you needed it. Um, and they were lovely. God, they were so beautiful and great. Um, and acting with with pets is they say don't act with ch children or dogs. That's a famous Hollywood thing because it's hard. You know, they don't always want to come to the set. They don't always listen. They're, they're dogs and kids. Um, this dog was like um, Daniel Day Lewis, a total both dogs, total pros. So dog gone. Um, you're going to love it. 
on Netflix now. And thanks for the for the call. Thanks for listening. Next week, uh, some super good stuff coming again. And um, don't forget to send uh, send this to other folks. You know, give us a good review on Apple. All the things I usually say to you guys. And you guys are very good. You usually listen and you do what I say. And I got to tell you, it makes me super happy. Anyway, thank you for taking time out of your day and being with us. And we'll see you next week on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Bagar. Our research is done by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music on this podcast was composed by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe. has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. The path to retirement is different for everyone. And as life changes, so do priorities. Fidelity can help you get where you want to go. With a free personalized plan, goal tracking, and timely insights, you'll be set to take on retirement. Whether you're saving for it or already living in it. Get started at fidelity.com slash take on. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC.